Welcome back to the program. Well, it was July 15th. That was last Thursday. And it was the feast of St. Bonaventure. Yes, that's right, St. Bonaventure. Um, I'm not sure how many of you, um, you've, I'm sure you've heard of St. Bonaventure, right? There's St. Bonaventure College, and I think it's in New York. Um, but uh, I, I would say probably a number of folks know that he was a Franciscan, um, and some are probably aware that he was a teacher at the University of Paris at the same time as St. Thomas Aquinas. I think that's so cool. Well, uh, today I'm going to dig into some of the writings and insights of St. Bonaventure. He's a doctor of the church. He's called the Seraphic Doctor. And um, uh, I want to hand on to you insights that I myself have received. So it's going to be a kind of living act of tradition. And as I do hand on these insights, I think those of you that have sort of walked with me over the course of many years, you're going to say, that's where you got that from. That's where that insight came from. And the answer is, yep, I'm going to be exposed. Not only that I missed um, this important patron saint in my life's feast day last week, but that um, that in so many ways, um, things that you find striking that have come from someone that is for you a teacher or a mentor or an inspiring person, a teacher, preacher, uh, that they didn't make that stuff up. No, they themselves were inheritors. They themselves were formed and informed. They were poured into by great teachers in our tradition. And so one of my hopes is that you're going to grow in your appreciation and even affection, like loving affection, for the great Saint Bonaventure. So let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, Heavenly Father, I thank you for great saints that you plant in different ages in salvation history. And Lord, I thank you for the gift of the 13th century that uh, gave birth to St. Bonaventure and so many other incredible saints. And I pray, Lord, that this would be... Um, that the moment that we're living in, Lord, would be another moment of great saints. Raise up great saints, Lord, to wash away the confusion, to lead the way into a time of revival, of restoration, of uh, a greater, stronger proclamation of you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. Lord, we need you. We look to you. And, and Lord, we want to grow in that nearness that, that you offer to us. And I pray that especially for um, any one of you who are listening that struggles to have that confidence that the Lord is with you, that he is hearing you when you pray, he's communicating to you in the core of your being, and he is watching over and with you as you go through your day. I also pray that in a special way for our kids, that, Lord Jesus, please bless our children with that personal relationship that um, you are so gracious to bring into my life as in my late teens. Lord, I just pray for that gift to be poured out upon the Catholic young people, 
the children and grandchildren that are um, that are represented by the families listening to this program, or they themselves are listening. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You might wonder, like, how important is theology? Right? Theology as, a, as an academic discipline, uh, and theological books, theology books, um, they can sometimes seem so abstract, using language that is so distant from, let's say, an untrained person's ability to really grasp what's being said, that theology can seem like it's like peripheral. It's like, it's, is it really that big a deal? Why can't we just study church doctrine? Why don't we just study the, the dogmas and the teachings of the church isn't that sufficient, right? Like, is it a bad thing to say, well, I spend my time like looking at the catechism of the Catholic Church and understanding the Church's teaching by reading that wonderful gift to our time? And, and the answer is no, of course, that's a beautiful thing. But theology offers a different insight. It offers the ability to take individual teachings— and it allows us to be able to see how those different teachings relate together. How are they coordinated? How do they cohere? How do they stick together? How can these different teachings be linked to each other? I'll use a different word. How can we systematically explore and expound upon what the church's teaching actually is? Well, it would be really helpful if there were some key concepts, categories, I, fundamental ideas that build a foundation so that we can grasp with a greater depth, with a greater ease, and with a greater sense of coherence and consistency what it is the church actually teaches, what it is that Jesus actually proclaimed. And so being able to understand uh, the teaching of the church by studying and in embracing a discipline like theology has incredible value in growing in faith. Even just for instance, just here, super simple. Um, the no, It's simple to say, <laughs> but its profundity is something that is inexhaustible for us human beings while we're here on earth. And it was something that I mentioned last Friday, uh, to Kerry, who is going through uh, Father Spitzer's book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives. Um, and it was the threefold uh, path of the spiritual life, the triple way, these three stages in spiritual growth, right? You have the purgative, the illuminative, and the unitive ways. And that's the journey of the soul into God. The soul makes a journey into God, into the deeper, more profound communion with God. And in that journey, that soul will pass through, will walk the path through these stages. Oh, by the way, that's theology. See, theology takes the lived experience of great saints, 
and their writings, sermons, their teachings, and begins to systematize it, put it in order. Hmm, I wonder if there was a great saint back in the 13th century who unfolded the reality of the spiritual life in a theologically profound way. Yes, indeed, St. Bonaventure. You knew that was coming. St. Bonaventure, in fact, in his, probably his most famous work, The Soul's Journey Into God. Oh, wow. The Soul's Journey Into God is, in fact, a, an exposition of how we grow in the spiritual life. Well, today in Sun Insight, I'm going to take some quotes from the soul's journey into God uh, as a way of just sort of showing you, again, the powerful influence of this doctor of the church, this great saint, on my life. And because of how it's impacted my life, I'm sharing with you, not always identifying, okay, this comes from Bonaventure. I, I do that a, a fair number of times. But you'll be able to be blessed by this doctor of the church. Now, St. Bonaventure lived in the 13th century. His whole life happened in that century. He was born uh, less than 10 years before, um, before St. Francis died. And he himself became a Franciscan in part because of a childhood illness where he was, um, uh, was expected to die. But through the intercession of the Blessed Mother, uh, he was healed miraculously. And there was a, a promise that uh, the parents made that they would raise him in a way that um, they would be promoting and fostering in him a religious and priestly vocation, and he ended up in the Franciscans. Well, not only did he end up in the Franciscans, um, he, who lived this, uh, this mendicant life, remember now, that life of poverty, uh, had an incredible intellect. And so he was chosen to advance in his studies and did so well um, at the University of Paris, this Catholic university in the 13th century, that he advanced and advanced to the level of being a like master teacher. And this was quite a uh, quite a an honor for him to be able to um, give lectures and and have courses uh, there at the University of Paris. And what's really cool, you, you, those of you that have heard me. Um, uh, go on and on about uh, St. Bonaventure, you hear me tell this story because I'm like, man, if I, if I could live in one moment in, in another part of the, of the uh, history, um, and, and you can't say the time of Jesus, okay? If you, <laughs> you take that out, like 1257, put an X on that date, uh, 1257, 1258. 1257 was when uh, St. Bonaventure and St. Thomas Aquinas were both uh, given the role of teacher at the University of Paris. And it, there's a document that you know, announces that these two were you know, elevated to this role. I just think, now how amazing would that be? <laughs> Your college, your Catholic college, you go and there are two doctors of the church offering lectures 
two. Stunning. Oh my goodness. What would it have been like to hear them give their teachings uh, and teach their courses? It just must have been amazing. Anyways, um, the incredible thing about St. Bonaventure that makes him, if not unique, really very, very rare, he's in a rarefied air in the history of the church, is that not only did he exercise an incredible theological gift through his teachings and writings, which we're going to talk more about, but he was also named the seventh minister general of the Franciscan order. And so the, Fran- the minister general is the, is the head honcho, the guy in charge. He's like the pope of the Franciscans. And he was named unanimously as the head of the Franciscans. He was only 40 years old. Uh, he was not, in, uh, he was not um, someone who um, was old <laughs> at the time when he was um, named uh, minister general. And the incredible thing is that um, he was a choice that helped to bridge a gap at that moment in the life of the Franciscans. Um, he was someone who um, he was someone who um, was able to bridge the gap between the original followers of Francis, a few of whom were still alive, those who wanted to take the religious order into a more traditional format, following constitutions and getting more established. And those that had the, they were the spiritual Franciscans, they were ones who were prophesying that this new age of the spirit was about to emerge. And Francis and Dominic were the two prophets re- reflecting a, uh, the reference to the two prophets in the book of Revelation. I think it's Revelation 12 or 13. And, um, and, and that this, these were heralds of this new age of the spirit, which would allow a degree of um, like separation from institutional structures and um, putting things down in, in uh, such tight rules. And he was someone that all three groups could find a home. They saw in Bonaventure someone who's incredibly holy and open to the Spirit. They saw in uh, Bonaventure a true son of Francis, who appreciated the gift and charism of the founder. And they saw in Bonaventure someone who had the capacity to structure and order and bring out constitutions in a way that wouldn't stifle the spirit, but would enable the spirit to run free while staying in its lane. All right, up against the break. Back in a minute. More on St. Bonaventure because I missed his feast day last week. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. Uh, so, and I, I, I made a mistake. I said it was 1257 when he became a master of theology at the University of Paris. That was a couple years earlier. It was 1257 when he became the minister general uh, of the Franciscan order, the seventh minister general. And now all of a sudden, here this great saint who has all of this incredible richness of theology, incredibly holy is now given the pastoral task of shepherding the Franciscans further into the future. Now, 
while this is also happening, he becomes a bishop and then is elected a cardinal um, and is now wielding influence in the entire church of the time, especially in Italy, but even beyond because of the influence of the Franciscans, um, until he dies at the Council of Lyon in like 1274. So he ended up dying quite young. And it's like, man, uh, I think, in fact, he was just a year older than me. Wow, I never thought of that. Oh, that's kind of scary. Um, but he, the life he lived was extraordinary. In fact, one of the books that has had the biggest influence on my life is a book he wrote to the superiors of Franciscan houses. And so he talked about, it's called The Six-Winged Seraph. And in it, he offers instructions about how do you actually like lead and grow a community of Franciscans in the right spirit? And there are certain insights he shared in there that have just so profoundly impacted my life. Just as a, just as a for instance, um, you hear me talk about dispersion, distraction, and diversion. That's St. Bonaventure in his book on the six wings of the seraph. He talks about the way in which we are held back in our spiritual lives because we get diverted. And diverted is really about betraying the Lord by willfully doing what we ought not to do. And so there's a part of us that's a rebel. There's a part of our lives that being rebellious needs to be corrected. That correction needs to be called out. And the loving thing to do as a superior is to call out ways in which the members of that community are diverging from God's call. You don't, you, he talks, this is what he says. He says that you can understand the quality and depth of leadership of a community, the quality and depth of the holiness of the leader of the community by measuring not what the community does, but rather what the community is permitted to do. You measure your leadership not on what is being done, but rather on what is being permitted. And just stop and think about that. Think about that as a husband, as a father, as a disciple of Jesus, as a Catholic Christian living in this world right now, in terms of leaders in the church. And, and, and you can say, well, what are they doing? But instead, ponder for a minute and say, well, what are they permitting through their silence? What are they assenting to and affirming through their silence? And, and all of a sudden, you stop and say, Wow, if, if leaders, Catholic Christian leaders, were to take a cue or be willing to be impacted by this doctor of the church, then all of a sudden there's a different measure, a different measure than which we might be comfortably measuring ourselves and allowing ourselves to get away with stuff because we're allowing others to get away with stuff. 
And so, Tom, look in the mirror. Are you a good father? Don't tell me what your kids are doing. Ask yourself, what are you permitting your kids to do? Permitting in terms of how they're spending their time. Permitting in terms of how much uh, screen time they have. Permitting in terms of the attitudes they have. Permitting in terms of the, uh, the willingness or, or lack of willingness to die to self. Right? The, uh, don't tell me about, oh, here are the ways that they are standing up in virtue. In what ways are they falling short? And so just to, I, I just share with you that like there's one sliver of three. The other two slivers I'll, I'll get into that you that have impacted my life and I've passed them on to you. I pass them on in so many settings uh, when I've taught about St. Bonaventure um, for decades now that the three enemies of the spiritual life are diversion, distraction, and dispersion. So if diversion is about the willful disobedience, well, what's distraction, St. Bonaventure? Oh, well, that's when you're tempted. And you're tempted because you're weak, because the spirit and the flesh are at war. And so as a superior, when you are shepherding those under your care, you need to be able to discern, is this one falling because of willful uh, a willful, uh, rebellious spirit? Or is it because they're tempted and out of weakness, they're falling into sin? And so it's something that I talk about with Kerry. I talk about it with my kids. I say there's a difference between falling into sin out of weakness and jumping into sin out of willfulness. And I said, as you are reflecting, as you do an examination of conscience or carry when we are discerning and trying to come up with a, a wise path forward regarding this kid's behavior or this kid's attitude, or this kid's way of living, how much of our own assessment, how much of our own analysis is focused on the concept of, are they just falling into bad behaviors because they're weak, because of the influence of their friends? Or are they willfully choosing in a rebellious spirit? And are they being stubborn and clinging to that spirit? It's a great distinction. And it's worth pondering. Because St. Bonaventure says that when we are falling, and, and those under our care are falling out of weakness, then we have to treat them differently. The approach we take to come around them, to support them, to encourage them, not to, not to um, make them feel uh, overwhelmed because they've fallen, but no, to let them know that we are here with them to lift them up and help them move forward. What a powerful insight from St. Bonaventure. And then what was that last one, that third one? Diversion, the three enemies of the spiritual life is diversion, distraction, and dispersion. Now, what is dispersion? Okay, we're going to get to the soul's journey into God because the soul's journey into God is about concentration. It's about becoming more dense 
and concentrated. It's about going within oneself. It's going into the core of one's being because going within oneself becomes the path of going beyond oneself to God. And so for Bonaventure, an enemy of the spiritual life is dispersion. Dispersion here means that we become so spread out, so stretched in so many directions that what do we lack? We lack the ability to really focus and to generate that interior energy we need to move forward in this one thing. But when we have so many directions that we're pursuing, so many tasks that are presented to us, they all seem good. They all maybe have a degree of goodness to them, but by being dispersed, we end up not having the focus or the energy to accomplish any of them, or maybe only one of them. And so here's a for instance. Take that wisdom of St. Bonaventure, and I'll apply to the spiritual life in a, in a few minutes, like going within, and we'll start taking that soul's journey into God. But just start thinking about it practically. How many times do you like fall short in your own um, good intentions? Like, I'm going to start this new habit. I'm going to uh, initiate a new activity that I'm going to commit to doing. And then what happens? Well, we get so stretched, so spread out, we lose our energy, we lose our focus, and we just can't do it, right? And where do you see that? You see that in everything from what's it like to pray when you're all stretched out and you don't have the ability to focus. Or even letting my attention get so dispersed. What would disperse our attention, our ability to pay attention, our ability to just be present to what's in front of us. Oh yeah, that would be screens. Do you hear that? One of the enemies of the spiritual life is the dispersion that takes place in our attention because we give ourselves over, over the course of our day, almost continuously to screens. The computer screen in front of me right now, the TV screen when you're streaming a video, But most of all, that smartphone where, well, guess what? It can become the TV. It can become the computer. It can become the communicator. It can become the game-playing device. All of the above, those things just drain us, drain us, bleed us dry of our ability to pay attention. St. Bonaventure, he's got some real wisdom. And so gift, one of the gifts that we can bring to our kids, and it's a gift that the superior ought to bring to his community, is to strip down, simplify, eliminate those drains from our capacity to focus and bring the energy we need to be able to do the good thing, the virtuous thing, the holy action, the prayerful action. So diversion, distraction, and dispersion. Now, what's so interesting is that guess what? 
I'm not the first one to discover that. And that spiritual tradition that St. Bonaventure mentions in his book of um, guidance to superiors has echoes in other church documents. One that I found particularly striking and complementary in its insight was a papal letter called Tertio Millennio Adveniente. Tertio Millennio Adveniente. It's St. John Paul II. It's a document that was released in 1994, and it is on the preparation of the church for the coming of the third millennium. On the preparation of the church for the coming of the third millennium. And the Pope talks about what he described as preparatory years, preparatory years, 97, 98, 99, leading up to the year 2000. And these years were to be dedicated to certain themes. Principal among them was the three persons of our triune God. 97, the year of Jesus. 98, the year of the Spirit. 99, the year of the Father. The year 2000 was the year of the Trinity, this great jubilee year, 2,000-year anniversary of, <clears throat> of the birth of Jesus into the world. And in that document, before those um, three preparatory years, there's an anti-preparatory set of three years. <laughs> so before the preparatory years, there are the three years of 94, 95, and 96, which are to be years of doing penance and repenting. It's about clearing away the blockages. It's about uh, making up for the damage that we as a church have caused and the wounded state we're in so that we'll be ready to enter the preparatory years. You won't even be able to prepare well for the Jubilee year unless before you undertake the serious work of preparing in accord with the themes of those three years uh, to receive the grace of Jubilee. To receive the grace of Jubilee, it's going to take a dedicated effort. But before those three years, there are these three years of penance, reparation, repentance. And he says these years are to be making up for the damage caused by infidelity, inconsistency, and slowness to act. Did you hear those words? Infidelity, inconsistency, and slowness to act. Now, wait a minute. Hear those words. Hear what those words might mean. And I want you to think if you can link them back, tie them into the three words that St. Bonaventure just taught the superiors of his communities and that we are applying to our lives. Remember those words? Diversion, distraction, dispersion. I'll tie these together in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. And so, where I left off just before the break was this linkage in terms of overcoming these enemies of the spiritual life. Well, not only does St. Bonaventure mention them back in the 13th century in his writings to his religious superiors, he 
we see an echo of it, profound echo, in the teaching of St. John Paul II, who was teaching and, and, and proclaiming and, and, and shepherding the church towards the great Jubilee year 2000, that it would be a launching point for this new evangelization and a new springtime, right? This new evangelization leading up to and then exploding into a new springtime as a result of the great Jubilee year 2000. But that doesn't happen unless we repent from instances of infidelity, inconsistency, and slowness to act. Infidelity, there it is, diversion. Remember, diversion is about willful rebellion where we do not want to obey. What's another word for that? Infidelity. We're not faithful. We choose to be unfaithful rather than faithful. We have to repent of that. Do you repent in your own life of instances of infidelity? I say to you, the Lord has a jubilee in store for you. He has a jubilee grace to, uh, to set you free, to come into an inheritance of blessings, to come into new joy, to come to experience the joy that God takes in you. But it must begin with that repentance from our infidelity, but not just infidelity, inconsistency. What's another word for inconsistency? Let's go back to Bonaventure. Bonaventure said diversion. Remember the second word? Distraction. Distraction is about being tempted. It's about the battle between the flesh and the spirit. It's about us being weak. Ah, what's another way of describing someone whose weakness makes it really hard for them to follow through with a degree of consistency? <gasps> someone who's inconsistent. Someone who's inconsistent is someone who's falling short out of weakness. And so we ought to recognize the way that we, through the battle that we're in between the flesh and the spirit, we will find ourselves being tempted to be inconsistent, to be tempted by the fleshly pulls in our being. Repent. Call down the Lord's grace ask for the Lord's mercy, cry out for the Lord's converting power so that we'll not only be uh, unfaithful, but we won't be inconsistent. And then what's the third one? I love this third phrase. St. John Paul II says we have to repent from instances of slowness to act. And what's another way of describing slowness to act? Well, slowness to act is the fruit of a person who's dispersed. If we're pushed out in all these different directions, if we've lost all these, these sources of like, oh my goodness, I'm trying to do too many things at once and I, I have no energy for them, well, guess what? We'll be slow to act. We'll miss the moment. We'll miss moments of grace. My brothers, I beg of you, do not receive the grace of God in vain, for now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. In these moments of grace, in these in-breaking moments where the Lord has something for us, what does, he call for, what does he call from us? He calls us to be alert. He calls us to an expectant faith. He calls us to a willingness to be 
ready to be moved, ready to be led. That is the spirit that we're called to to live, not a dispersed spirit that is slow to act. So there you go. That is just like the small sections of three chapters in St. Bonaventure's Six Wings of the Seraph. Well, I want to now go deeper into the soul's journey into God because we're going to discover there some insights that you hear me talk about quite a bit. And you might say, I really don't hear these same insights very often today. And there's a reason why. And that is that they've been obscured to many people's eyes. And St. Bonaventure is going to help us clear that up quite a bit. Okay, so I'm now going to turn to the soul's journey into God. And just to pause here and say, thanks be to God that I had this class. When I entered the seminary, you may have heard me mention the priest who was an incredibly profound philosopher who impacted my life as my spiritual director after I left the seminary. But as a teacher, he mentored and and shaped how I saw the whole life of faith. And he did it through his classes. He taught a class on St. Bonaventure. And the things that I'm sharing with you and, and I'm about to share with you, these are insights that are traced back to the gift of Father Mark Noonan to my life. The fact that he had, along his journey, been introduced to St. Bonaventure, plumbed the depths of St. Bonaventure sufficiently to say, I'm going to teach a college-level theology class on the teaching of St. Bonaventure. How rare is that? How many places in this country are you going to find a class on St. Bonaventure? Pretty rare. And not only that, but he taught a course on the human person that fundamentally changed my life. Not the least of which reason was that the last text we went through in that uh, course was the acting person by St. John Paul II. And he was the one, Father Mark Noonan, who gave me the grounding to enter into the teaching of St. John Paul II about the person. Now, you often hear about the theology of the body and how that teaching had such impact. Well, the theology of the body is traced back to something even more foundational, and it's referenced in the theology of the body catechesis. It's the understanding of the person. That's anthropology, and that's the person as gift. And this is what I learned from Father Noonan. And so, uh, in addition, he also, in his human person course, introduced me to the profound writings of Abraham Heschel, a, an Orthodox Jewish rabbi who wrote such profound books. But his book, Who is Man?, was the book that I read as part of this class. And then I've gone on from there to read so many other books by Abraham Heschel. Man's Search for Meaning is another book I read uh, in that course 
On Caring is another book. I mean, just, I could go on and on. But here's the thing. The idea that what I'm handing on to you are things that I've made up. No, these are things that I was led into by a profound teacher and other teachers as well. But Father Mark Noonan, thanks be to God for you. Say a prayer for Father Mark Noonan today. He's a retired priest now in the Archdiocese of Boston, and I still call him. Sadly, I just I just call him mostly when I'm troubled. <laughs> I call him when I'm troubled to help him kind of help, help me sort through and sort out stuff. He's so profound. Okay, so in this book, The Soul's Journey into God, you see certain themes jump out, and one of the themes is Christ crucified and this Six Wings of the Seraph, right, that book that I just mentioned. This also is a principal theme in the journey of the spiritual life, the burning love of the crucified. Isn't that a great phrase? That there is no other path, there's no other path to go through these stages of the spiritual life. What's the gasoline for the spiritual engine for our journey into God to an ever deeper concentration of one's spiritual powers ever more deeply within to ever more deeply go beyond and to be led through the stages that are purgative and illuminative and unitive? He said, there is no other path but through the burning love of the crucified one, of Jesus a love which so transformed Paul into Christ when he was carried up to the third heaven that he could say, with Christ I am nailed to the cross. I live now, not I, but Christ lives in me. And then as a Franciscan, he references the life of Francis. This love, burning love of the crucified, also so absorbed the soul of Francis that his spirit shone through his flesh when for two years before his death, he carried in his body the sacred stigmata of the passion. The six wings of the seraph, therefore, symbolize the six steps of illumination that begin from creatures and lead up to God, and no one whom no one rightly enters except through the crucified. Wow, that's the spiritual journey. Okay, how does it start? You'll hear about it in just one minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. I'm honoring St. Uh, Francis, St. Bonaventure, a doctor of the church, the seraphic doctor he's known as, and I think you get it. He had this vision. Uh, uh, he references the vision that Francis had of Jesus as this six-winged seraph and um, uses that as a pattern to map out these six stages uh, the the two parts of the three stages uh, that you'll see in the soul's journey into God. I don't have a chance to get into it, but what's really important for us is how do you start on the journey? How do you move away from distraction, dispersion, diver- dispersion, diversion, distraction, dispersion? How do you move away from that to concentration, to going within? Well, St. Bonaventure begins at the beginning. He begins at the very, very beginning. If you want to know what the first act you make, the first step you take, the first thing you do to get launched in the spiritual journey, listen to it. It's right here in the introduction to the soul's journey into God. For no one is in any way disposed for divine contemplation 
that leads to mystical ecstasy. Okay, that's the top stage. That's the end goal. That's where we're all headed. No one in any way is even disposed, has this sense of, I have this readiness to be led into it, this readiness for it. There is no way. The first, first, first thing, if you want to get to the very heights, there's no way that leads to this mystical ecstasy unless, like Daniel, he is a man of desires. He's quoting a description of Daniel, the prophet, 9.23. He's a man of desires. Wait a minute, what does that mean? Well, let me explain. Bonaventure continues, such desires are enkindled in us in two ways. Okay, and the first way is going to be the human side. The second way is going to be the graced second side. So listen to the first step of the first step. The desires are enkindled in us in two ways. By an outcry of prayer that makes us call aloud in the groaning of our heart. And by the flash of insight by which the mind, sorry, the mind turns most directly and intently toward the rays of light. So that's that gift, that flash of insight that comes from God where the mind is turned inwardly. Remember, the journey is the journey inwardly that leads beyond to the dimension of God, to the transcendent dimension, to the dimension of the the depths of the heart breaking open into encounter with the divine. And so it begins with groaning. The first act of prayer is a cry aloud to God and groaning. And listen now, just in case you think that I'm emphasizing this too much, to the uh, this next uh, exhortation, literally the next words coming from Bonaventure. First, therefore, I invite the reader to the groans of prayer through Christ crucified, through whose blood we are cleansed from the filth of vice. There it is. Do you want to grow in the spiritual life? Groan. Do you remember me talking in the last few weeks about desperation, about praiseworthy desperation, about the Lord leading us into places where we are radically insufficient, incapable of taking care of what we need, and that we are in a radical place of reliance upon the Lord? That spiritual poverty, that's a gift. That manifests itself in the prayer of groaning. I have no resources. I do not have what it takes. I am empty and powerless. Oh God, I turn to you. And that, that, uh, way in which that connects us to Jesus 
is his crucifixion. That groaning in prayer is through Christ crucified. It's with burning love for Christ crucified. It is through crucifixion that we come to new life. Through the powerlessness of death that we arise to new life. And just to say, what's the problem? What's the hang-up? What's the difficulty? Well, Bonaventure is going to characterize it as thinking that if we just do certain things, things that we have the power to do, that therefore we don't need to groan. And so the first groan, the very first groan, is groaning over not groaning, is thinking that we can leave groaning the powerlessness, the desperation, the emptiness out of the equation. Let me read it to you the way that Bonaventure puts it. He says that, I invite the reader to the groans of prayer through Christ crucified, through whose blood we are cleansed from the filth of vice, so that he not, he the reader, not believe that reading is sufficient without unction, without affection, without that deep, deep, from the depths of our hearts, longing. That speculation is sufficient without devotion. That investigation is sufficient without wonder. That observation is sufficient without joy. That work is sufficient without piety. That knowledge is sufficient without love. That understanding is sufficient without humility. That endeavor without divine grace. That reflection as a mirror without divinely inspired wisdom. And so he's saying, look, you can undertake all of these things, these actions, that you can understand his readers are religious. They're devout, consecrated people that they're undertaking these things, uh, all of these actions and works and reading and praying and uh, these other actions. But he's saying, look, if, if you're missing the underlying thread you are not going to achieve the purpose. You're not going to get through death to resurrection. You're not going to make it to resurrection because you haven't died. And so, listen as he continues. To those, therefore, predisposed by divine grace, the humble and the pious, the contrite and the devout, those anointed with the oil of gladness, the lovers of divine wisdom, those inflamed with a desire for it, to those wishing to give themselves to glorifying, wondering at, and even savoring God, I propose the following considerations. And so the whole rest of the book is all about, I'm going to bring you back to the goal of all of this, savoring God. What a beautiful way of describing ecstatic union with God. He uses the spiritual senses that are involving contact. Not seeing God, but savoring God. Tasting the goodness of God's divinity. Th these types of union 
uh, conveying senses are what are prominent in St. Bonaventure. And what he talks about is that all of this stuff, this stuff that I'm going to be teaching you in these considerations, suggesting that the mirror presented by the external world is of little or no value unless the mirror of our soul has been cleansed and polished. That is so striking. Therefore, man of God, first exercise yourself in remorse of conscience before you raise your eyes to the rays of wisdom reflected in its mirrors, lest perhaps from gazing upon these rays you fall into a deeper pit of darkness. Wow. So that's just from the introduction to St. Bonaventure's soul's journey into God. That's not, it's before you get to stage one. <laughs> I'm like, do you get it? This is a doctor of the church. Incredible, like holy man of God. But his ability to take these insights that we so often miss and to bring them out into the open in a way that confronts us with ourselves, that is such a gift. And so I hope and pray that even though I'm a week late, you won't be late in discovering and in savoring the rich teaching of St. Bonaventure. Again, that is found in a book called The Soul's Journey into God. It's one of the classics of Western spirituality, and it includes a couple of other really important writings of Bonaventure as well. Well, I hope you found that to be a blessing. Join me tomorrow for more Sun Insight. God bless your day.